Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out the radio version of the show every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on WDJY 99.1 in Atlanta. We also air on a podcasting network in Los Angeles called the 405 Media. There's a TV version of the show that airs on KMVT 15 in Silicon Valley at 8 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday nights. Both versions of the show air in other states. For these show times plus past episodes, please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. Join me at the 10th Annual Media Excellence Awards on January 18th in Beverly Hills, California. The attendees and I will be celebrating innovation and leadership in technology and entertainment. There are 20 award categories with 1,000 nominees. These awards honor those who are creating groundbreaking technology to better our lives and celebrate the hard work, determination, and brilliance in the leadership within the companies which create the new world we live in today. I will be recording nominees and winners at the awards. For tickets and more information, go to MediaXAwards.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have John P. Roberts. He's the Chief Content Officer at Pure Imagination Studios. John, welcome to the show. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you've done and are currently doing is actually really cool and kind of selfishly, I, I like talking to people like yourself that have kind of done stuff that I've kind of admired over the years. But maybe before we kind of get into all that fun stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. Uh, I grew up in Rochester, New York. Okay. Right near uh, in between Buffalo and Syracuse, just sure. across the uh, lake from Toronto. And um, I was, uh, as a kid, just... Uh, Always kind of lucky. I, I was there for a lot of firsts. I remember like being on a street and getting the first Atari and playing yeah, Pong yeah, sure. and, and always looking at that type of stuff. So, and always obsessed with, uh, with, with, with television and entertainment. And, um, but, but never in a million years uh, thought that I would ever be able to work in that industry, especially when Rochester was known more for uh, Kodak and Xerox. So you're either going to be an engineer or some type of business guy, but uh, entertainment was never even a thought until I went to college. Okay. So what did you take in college and, and why did you decide to take it? So I literally was going to be a business major, like, cause like I said, I didn't know of anything sure. else. So, um, I, I was accepted to a state university of New York at Fredonia and, um, was taking all my business classes, my economics, accounting, and, and accounting was like my albatross around my neck. And I remember sure. um, finally taking accounting too, and just, you know, walking across campus, like just depressed, like this was going to be my life. And I, and I literally, at that moment, I literally saw a guy that had a film camera and, and he was doing something. And I just remember like, uh, like a moth to a flame. I walked over to him, like, excuse me, what are you doing? And he looked at me like, Oh, I'm, doing a project for my film class. I'm like, you can take a class in film. He's like, uh, yeah, actually you can major in it as well. We have a whole television and film track and we actually have a student run television station. And I, I mean, like, I was like literally the clouds were parting and the sun was starting to come down. And I, I that night I actually went to the, they, they had this campus center where you could sign up for all these different activities. And I joined the look the, the television station. And within two weeks I had changed my major and never looked back. That that's amazing, man. I, I love those stories of just not that you like fell into it, but like you didn't even really realize there was like an industry, you know, in your area that you could kind of get into. I, I think that's great. Yeah, it, it was crazy. And, and literally after that, I literally 
went from like thinking like college was just something you had to do as, as part of the step to like, you know, I mean, and what was crazy was because it was like my soft second semester, sophomore year, there was like, I'm going to probably have to do the five-year program, but I was loving it so much. I was taking 21 credit hours a semester and graduated in time with a 4.0 because I was that passionate about it and literally graduated. And months later, I drove across the country to Los Angeles and never looked back. So, okay. No, that's, so what did you, were you going to a job when you, you drove to LA or you were just like, I got to go to LA and get no. a job? That's exactly right. I mean, cause it's, so the funny part was though, at, at Fredonia, I, I had produced, you know, a couple of student run shows. There's a comedy show that I produced. And here I'm thinking like, I'm like, you know, all that. So I had all my VHS tapes where I did a show people in LA and, you know, I, I got there and I knew one guy and, and I lived in a one bedroom apartment with three roommates. So I slept on a floor for about six months and I wow. just started knocking on every door. You know, I went to Paramount, to Disney, to Fox and realized like, oh, that's not how it works. So I ended up getting a job uh, just as a, as a runner production assistant at a, a small film company called uh, Howard International Films. And they were like kind of the B movies. Like the one was I remember seeing the poster on the wall. Angel, Hollywood Hooker by Night, Honor School Student by Day, first story. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I saw it on HBO. So this guy's the real deal. And like he also did like A Man Called Horse with Richard Harris. And you know, I, I remembered these titles. I'm like, okay, this guy's legit. And you know, that was the first year of my life was just you know delivering scripts, buying groceries, and just you know doing whatever I was told, working six, seven days a week, and loved every second of it. I, I couldn't afford uh, to do much. I couldn't afford to go out on a, on a date or really do anything else, but, but work. But I, I loved every second of it because I was in Los Angeles doing something I, I was really passionate about. Sure. So you've been in kind of the, the entertainment space for, for a long time now. Can you walk us through kind of your career and, and maybe some career highlights up until what you're doing today? Yeah. And I'll tell you some of the, some of like these game changer moments. So I, I left um, the, the, the film company and, and then I was kind of out there looking for the right, the right gig. Um, I, I'd gone back to New York for a break. Um, and this is the crazy part. On, on the flight back, our flight was delayed and I was flying out of JFK. Okay. And I remember there was, a, and this is a really important you know, story because it's changed everything. There was a woman there. And she like she must have had a four-year-old that was completely out of control because he just kept on running around. And all she would ever say was, Zachary, stop. Zachary, stop. <laughs> like, I think everybody in the airport wanted to kill Zachary. And we, we, we landed in L.A. Um, two days later, I was invited to some dinner party. I, I go there. I, I meet some people. And there's a little kid there and a woman. And the kid starts running around. And Shelton, this woman goes, Zachary, stop. I'm like, <laughs> excuse me, were you on a plane two days ago? And she's like, you recognize me because of my son. I'm like, I think we all did. Um, <laughs> and she started laughing. And she turned out to be an executive vice president over at Fox. Okay. And we became friends. And two weeks later, she called me and said, you know, there's an opening over at Fox. You should, you should consider it. And that changed my life. That, because of that plane ride and because I met her, um, I, I got a job at Fox. You know, um, it was literally working in legal affairs, which was like, Okay, um, not sexy at all, but it was like my. I, I figured if I could just land at Fox, I could, you know, blaze my own path. If I could just prove that I belong there, and you know, within within the six months to nine months, I I moved from legal affairs over to 20th Television. And 20th Television 
was, you know, kind of a, a part of the production arm of Fox in which they would produce shows that they would sell to Fox Broadcasting or they would sell to other networks. Okay. So they did everything from The Simpsons to um, Ticket Fences. They owned a whole library of shows like, you know, um, Batman with, you know, the Adam West Batman series with MASH, uh, Dynasty, all this library that they would sell to other cable networks. So I was working for this woman um, that was in charge of that. And within a year of that, now we're talking around 94, uh, Rupert Murdoch decided he wanted to launch a cable network called FX. Right. And we're all like, well, what's that going to be? So I thought that might be a cool opportunity. And I said, I'd like to go over to FX. And I was, you know, I signed on as one of the marketing guys. And we started branding the channel, what it was going to look like. And when, when FX launched, it was, a great little channel it was a little on the cheesy side because, you know, people like, you know, the amazing Tom Bergeron was the host of a morning show called breakfast time. And his co-host was this great woman named Lori, but there's also Bob the puppet. I mean, we had like <laughs> this, all this live programming, like the pet department, the collectible show. And, you know, it was like this very kind of campy, fun little network, but it was not what FX is today, which is like, you know, and, and when I left FX to go to Fox broadcasting, I was like, oh, I'm going from like the farm team to the major leagues, whereas now it's kind of in reverse where FX is doing the most cutting edge stuff compared to, you know, what, what Fox has been doing. But they're both, you know, great. But at, at FX is where kind of everything changed for me because um, not only was Rupert Murdoch trying to get into the cable business, but he had just bought an online company called Delphi. Oh, sure. And um, do you remember Delphi? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Delphi was... Not just, it was like the the, uh, the the non-sexy version of Prodigy and AOL. It was a very, it was a text-based service. Yeah. And you had your plug-in, you know, your twenty-four hundred modem, and if you wanted to play poker, you're like getting it all eight H Q D, which is eight of hearts, queen of diamonds. And <laughs> a buddy of mine was like putting all the bets on that. He's like, dude, this is the future. He's like, you really should get to know what I, you know what Delphi is doing. So at one of the cable shows, I volunteered to man the booths and show people how Delphi and FX were going to work together. Okay. So I've been doing the demos all day long, started to shut down the computer, and I looked down the hallway, and literally Rupert Murdoch is walking down the hall to check out the FX booth. And at the time, Ann Sweeney was the president of FX. So I got everything set up just in case, and I'm just kind of standing there, and all of a sudden, Mr. Murdoch walks up to me, and he goes, say, what do we have here? And his nice Australian accent. (laughs) And I literally just, went into just demo mode and I was very excited and I kind of kept it together. And, you know, at one point he said, so tell me the difference between how you see Prodigy and Delphi. I go, well, Mr. Murdoch, I go, you know, Prodigy is owned by Sears. And quite frankly, it looks like it. And although Delphi is in, in its infancy stage, I think being backed by someone like News Corp and having the brands of Fox and FX and all these other things, we can bring it to the next level. And he looked at me because I really like your energy. So I went back to L.A. I created a business plan why we should create an online group. And the CFO greenlit it. We got to, we created the very first website out of any cable network for FX. And then when I went to Fox, I was in charge of all of Fox Online and created the websites for Fox Sports, Fox Entertainment, and at the time, Fox Kids. And that was the biggest game changer in my life because that all of a sudden people were like, the president of Fox Sports is coming up to me and goes, can I ask you a question? For sure. What's the difference between the web and AOL? 
And so those are the questions <laughs> people are asking of, crypt- of cryptocurrency today. Sure. The, the online was, I, I had the, pr- the executive vice president of sales come up to me and goes, nice fake job you created. Like, what, do <laughs> what are you going to do when the internet disappears like the CB radio? I said, I hope you're wrong. And, and that was, you know, back in 95, 94, 95. That's very cool, man. No, I, I love that stuff, right? I, I still think it's hilarious that people thought the internet wasn't going to be a thing. But, but at the same time, like, I could, I could see where some people would be skeptical. But it's just funny now because it's basically like everybody, well, not everybody, but so much of the world's population is connected to the internet constantly just through their phone, right? Never mind all the other devices that we connect to. So much, though. I mean, you know the minute when you, like, your mom says, Oh, you know what? I missed this show, but it's okay. I can watch it on my iPad. I'm like, really, mom? That's, that's actually really impressive. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it, 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 it's definitely mainstream, and you start to look at the world today, and a lot of people, and even like that first iteration. Like, I remember when things started going down when they called, you know, they called it the dot bomb, but a lot of valuations were kind of plummeting. People were all betting on just the fact that a website had a billion, you know, users. No one had figured out how to monetize it yet. And so all these stocks plummeted and a lot of people thought the internet was maybe this was its demise. But out of that emerged, you know, Amazon and, and eBay and all these things where they started to figure out how do we utilize this technology and this medium and kind of paved the way for Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime and all these things, which is where it, it's an interesting time in entertainment where we used to call the big three ABC, CBS, NBC, and I, I think the big three now are Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon because sure. that's where the most coolest alternative programming is is being done, and it's 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 a really amazing time to be uh, a content producer. Sure. So you, you moved on from Fox. Walk me through kind of the rest of your history because it it's actually really cool. You've done some like you did some incredible stuff at those networks, but you've done some cool stuff between kind of then and what you're doing now yeah so so from fox all of a sudden now you know everyone's saying okay so this is a real deal so it, it, I, my 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 business card was looking good my, my 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 resume so i was able to start to move from the next studio to the next so universal had just launched the universal new media group right and you know that was a playground i really wanted to play in so i started to stalk the uh president of the new media group and and he, he wouldn't return my phone calls for some reason, but um, I was talking to his assistant and I remember she said to me, you know, um, I leave at 6.30 and he stays here till about 8. So if you call after 6.30, he usually answers his own phone. So I finally got hold of him. And <laughs> like, you just hear him kind of go, I've gotten your calls. Why don't you fax me your resume? I'm like, I can email. He's like, just fax it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think it's the part of that. He finally set me up with a few meetings they ended up hiring me as a consultant, and then um, I helped launch the very first online store uh, through e-commerce, working with Microsoft for Universal. And then, as a result of that, they ended up hiring me full time to uh, run biz dev and, and content. And that got really interesting because so now all of a sudden I'm back in, and now but I started to realize it was more than just doing websites. How can we now generate revenue through this medium? So from there. Um, I had some success. Then I got a call back from News Corp. And part of it was that they had, um, you know, Murdoch and, and Haim Saban had decided to go in on the uh, family channel, 
uh, okay. owned by Pat Robertson. And they were going to do this merge and they were going to call it Fox Family Channel, which at the time some people were calling the, the kind of a foxy moron. How do you put Fox and family in the same sentence? But <laughs> they did a really great job. And so at that point, um, another game changer, I would say, is when they hired uh, uh, our president, which his name was uh, Rich Cronin, who came from Viacom, who helped uh, create Nick at Night. And so my task there was to, you know, build, you know, entertainment for for uh, for online through you know the the Fox Family website and re- revamp Fox Kids, and at that point we started doing some really cool things where like candy companies were coming saying, hey, we want to do an ad buy. And I said, well, I think we could do more than just put a banner on a website, and we started creating like what I was calling advert gaming, and we started doing like games that we would build the engine, and then as a result of that we could reskin it. So we started creating revenue through that kind of advertainment and that was really a big big moment for me because that started changing things i started looking at the medium for more than just a website which then led us to saying how can we then take what we do and, and impact television so we started looking at creating an interactive television for, um task force so you know i i did we did a lot of really cool stuff while i was there became very good friends with with rich cronin and, and um i, I left there um, after a few years, because I got a call from uh, Paul Allen, okay, sure, company, uh, Vulcan, and that's the call you just you don't you don't turn down, sure. And Paul was trying to do something that again we I'd been experiencing, which was he wanted to launch a bunch of digital cable networks that were based on really niche areas that he was passionate about. So, for example, he wanted to launch a musician channel, not a music channel, but a music channel for musicians. Sure. He wanted to launch a guy channel. He wanted to launch a health and wellness channel because he realized that the digital spectrum and his ownership in RCN and charter, he would be able to get distribution. And he thought it was a really great thought, but unfortunately at the time, the people around him weren't big fans of that idea. he had lost, you know, he, during the dot bomb, he went from $50 billion to about 25 billion. Now, still have 25 billion sure but it, it just set everybody in a little bit of a panic like you know maybe we should just kind of pull back a little here um so it was kind of like you know we were doing lots of business plans but nothing was ever getting the trigger was never being pulled and after a while you know you can only do so much and not realize that we're probably not going to get anything uh launched here and that's when rich cronin called me again and said listen i uh liberty media just bought half of game show network from sony I think it's a great opportunity to finally realize what we can do in the world of interactive television. Because if you can't make a game show interactive, what are you going to do? Yeah, fair, right? Yeah, interesting. He said, so what are your thoughts on that? I said, well, first of all, I'm obsessed with game shows. I've I've loved them since I was a kid. Uh, I will absolutely come over and join you there. And the next seven years of that was probably some of the highlights of my career because that was when the uh, Television Academy decided to make interactive television, um, you know, a category in, in, in the uh, Emmys. And sure. so we were nominated for an Emmy four years in a row. Wow. I'm kind of the Susan Lucci of, of the Emmys because I never won. But <laughs> being nominated is just as nice, um, they, they say. Um, but we, we did everything from like, you know, websites, online games, interactive television, where people, again, at home are sitting there playing along with their television. And this is before we had the smartphone or the iPads. And so you're really counting on a lot of people having their desktop or laptop in the same room, but it was working. 
And at that point, we even started making commercials interactive. So we'd be like, you're playing along live with other players, but during the commercials, don't walk away because we're going to ask you questions about the commercial for extra points. Okay. So not only we're giving prize, we're putting the leaders on television. Advertisers started really taking notice of this. It was a really great time to be doing things like that. And it was really one of those moments where I'm like, we're, we're kind of onto something here. Um, we, we worked with some of the cable operators. We did our first one screen interactivity. So you could actually play along with the remote control. We did that out of uh, Oceanic Time Warner in, in Hawaii. So that didn't suck having to go to Hawaii yeah, several enough. times a month. <laughs> and, and it was just a really cool time being able to be part of that. And that's again, back to and, and entertainment, but we're doing things that no one had ever done before. And then the little fun stuff we were doing too was we were looking at the whole, you know, viral online game area and, there was a time when, you know, Mel Gibson had gotten into that drunken tirade on the PCH. And I was jokingly saying in a meeting, you know, someone did a, a game on, uh, on Michael Jackson called escape from Neverland. I go, we should do something about <laughs> Mel Gibson. And Cronin goes, how fast could you launch that? I said, well, we have this really cool games company in Toronto that moves really quick and they're, you know, not, not expensive. We launched the game. It had like a million views. I ended up on, on the, we, we were interviewed on the news several times and we realized we have something here because our, our traffic increased like a thousand percent as a result of these games. So we started doing, we did the Mel Gibson game. We did, you know, a, a, a game on OJ. We did one where Paris Hilton going to jail called the prison life with Paris Hilton. We've got a <laughs> I remember these. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And it was like, Oh my God, I think we're like every week there's a headline. We did, Rosie versus Trump when they were in their fight before yeah. he was ever even thought to be president. Um, we did another one that was um, a lot of when the missile maniac from North Korea, when his dad was still alive. And yeah. there was a lot of uh, those types of things that we were doing that were relevant. We said, you know, we're game show network, but we also were game. So we were feeling like that felt part of the brand and it, and it helped. So there, there was seven years of just, utter fun to be able to be in the medium and, and doing things that were like a big sandbox that we could play in. Sure. And then, um, Keep right going. around then that's when, when Rich left and they decided to make changes. And after seven years, it was probably time. And then um, I've had a really amazing call from a recruiter that was just like a, a dream job, um, which was to go work for uh, George Lucas at, at sure. Lucasfilm. And, that to me, as like I remember talking to my wife, that it was going to be a, you know in, in San Francisco, and we said, well, before we move, we should probably, you know, test the waters, and I'll commute to San Francisco, and, you know, that job was one of those things where it's like, do you ever go to a party when there's like five minutes left, and there's you go to get a beer, and the foam comes out? <laughs> that was kind of working at Lucasfilm. Like George was done at that point making movies. Um, the live action TV show that was been talked about wasn't going to happen. And I just realized, like, I probably joined Lucasfilm about maybe six, seven years too late. And, you know, after a year, it was like, probably not going to happen. And no one knew that this sale was three, you know, two, three years away. So sure. it was one of those things where it was an interesting time. I loved going to Skywalker Ranch. I loved the whole environment. But it was just, as far as getting things done, that was just uh, unfortunate. Sure. Um, but met a lot of great people. And like I said, it was an amazing experience. And then... Margaret Lash, who I'd worked with at Fox Kids, had just been um, given the uh, CEO position for a new joint venture between Discovery and Hasbro to launch a kids network called The Hub. Okay. And 
that was another one of those great opportunities to come back to LA and, and do a startup network. And that was again, an, another fun couple of years. Um, I think Hasbro and discovery maybe had different goals at the time, okay. you know, discovery was really amazing at what they did in the cable industry. Hasbro, of course, is the most amazing toy company mm-hmm. out there, but it was, I think there was a couple of ideas of how that should be, uh, done. So they ended up folding that after a couple of years and it became Discovery Family again. Um, but then that allowed me to then move on to, to the next chapter, which was starting to get into the production world. Okay. So I worked at, I worked at Endemol and then I moved to Buna Murray. And up until then, I'd really always been on the network side, not necessarily the, the production side. So after being there and seeing what was going on in the world of you know, short form, it, it may really open the eyes to all this alternative distribution out there, which was like everything from, you know, Verizon Go90 and, and YouTube and, and full screen and all these new things that were coming out. It really opened my eyes as to, it, it kind of went full circle. Like I'd come out here to produce television shows and movies. And now all of a sudden there's this opportunity to be able to do that through these new alternative platforms. And now it's gone full circle. I'm now at a company called Pure Imagination Studios as the chief content officer. And we do everything from, you know, uh, production services. We, we produce a lot of content for Lego. Okay. Um, we just wrapped up Guardians of the Galaxy Lego. We're doing Black Panther. Uh, we did the Lego 4D adventure at Legoland. We do oh, location-based cool. entertainment. We're, we just uh, are wrapping up uh, the Aliens VR experience, which is just nothing less than amazing. But my man, my main mandate now is to create original content for both television, film, and digital. And so it's a, it's a really amazing time. I'm, I'm really excited to be. It's, it's, I've known the, the, the founder, Josh Wexler, for 20 plus years when he was over at uh, The Threshold, which uh, produced things like uh, Mortal Kombat, among oh, many, many other cool. films. And sure. uh, really, really cool guy. And just, it's a very. Uh, geeky nerdy fun environment that i just love to play in no that's that's great man i i love that i i think that's you've had an incredible journey and i, I think kind of what you're doing now at, at pure imagination uh, and i'm not saying traditional tv and stuff is going away because I, I don't think it'll ever go away but i think kind of what you're doing now is is kind of pulling some of that traditional stuff and kind of merging in some of the newer up-and-coming stuff like vr and AI and and kind of some of the other stuff that maybe we don't even know yet, right? And and then trying to put it on kind of traditional medium and, and on online and on phones and other devices. But kind of walk me through your thoughts on kind of what's happening in the space right now because I think we're almost at the beginning of kind of another revolution of, of kind of tech and animation and TV and media and entertainment kind of all coming together. Is that fair to say? I, I, I agree with you. I completely agree with that. In fact, you know, part of it is all through those learnings. Like, you know, we, we started seeing, you know, 3D was the big, uh, since we're like, you know, current on CES, you know, about yeah. five, six years ago at CES, it was all about, you know, 3D. Yeah. And everyone's like, okay, everyone, you know, people were taking old shows, converting them to 3D. There was a 3D channel had launched it was like you know all the tvs that were coming out were 3d ready and people were buying the goggles Mm -hmm. um it it was you know and then we kind of went wah 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 like it was (laughs) not necessarily nothing and we like maybe it was a little gimmicky 
but but 3D still works in the theaters for the right piece of content. And and then you know we saw Google um, do this thing with um, you know this this game called Ingress, yeah, which was all um, you know AR based. Now it was an amazing game, but not necessarily well marketed because nobody really knew what it was or how it worked. Yeah, it except for like nerds, thing. right? <laughs> exactly. So I thought it was cool, like yeah. a self-proclaimed nerd. But unfortunately, it kind of just went away for a second. But then the brilliance of it was like, it was already mapped out. The technology was already there. And someone said, well, wait a minute. What if we put a, a well-known brand on top of this and reskinned it, which was Pokemon Go? Sure. And all of a sudden, the light bulb went off for everybody saying, oh, my God, look at this hit we have. There's millions and millions of people worldwide searching for these Pokemon. I would like be walking, driving down the street. I see hordes of crowds. I'd never seen anything like it. Totally, yeah. It was one of those very fast things. But I think it opened everyone's eyes. It's like, oh, here's a brand that's well-known. Here's a cool technology. And, and everyone has a phone in their hand. It started to make a lot of sense as to how this stuff could work. Now, I think a lot of people, I think AR is one of the most underrated technologies out there. And I know within some of the new phones, it's going to only get bigger. I think what Magic Leap is doing is going to be amazing. Um, a friend of mine, Rio Karef, is over there, and he's, you know, an amazing guy. So I really have big expectations for, for what they're doing. And, and then come VR. Mm-hmm. And, and to your point, VR, again, I almost for a second was thinking that's going to go in the way of 3D. Yeah, me because too. How many people have goggles? I mean, they're expensive. Um, you know, I have a I have a five year old that's almost six. I, I don't necessarily want to see him in the TV room with the goggles on all by himself, just sitting there. Sure. Um, but then when I went to Pure Imagination for a meeting one day, they said, "Hey, like John, do you have a do you have some extra time?" I said, "Yeah." They brought me into the set and they kind of backed me into it. They they put the goggles on me. Uh, they put some stuff on my arms, and they said you're just woken up from a cryo sleep and you're in a mining colony in space. So when you turn around, that's all we're going to tell you. Okay. Interesting. So I turn around and I'm like, Oh my God. I, I literally felt like I had been transported somewhere else. Sure. Now I can get a little motion sickness with, with VR. It, it's happened. Sure. But me too. Now yeah. I look down, which all can help. And then there was a railing and I'm like, just for the hell of it, I kind of reached out. And I was able to touch the railing. And I'm like, oh, my God. And the minute I was able to do that, I felt completely grounded. Yeah. So now I had a headset on. So it was giving me instructions saying, go over to get suited up. I'm like, suited up. And next thing you know, I'm getting suited up. And then it tells me to go to weapons training. And there was this plasma blaster rifle sitting in front of me. I'm like, no way. And I go lean over and I was able to pick it up and That's actually awesome. shoot it. I got on an elevator that was going, felt like it was going down. And as I looked down and seeing the lava, it started getting hotter as I'm going down. And so then I realized it's location-based entertainment. So VR being a location-based experience. And what I found out later on, like as I took the mask off, is they had built this entire set that worked within this environment. And now I think with VR, you're like, with what's going on with us, what's going on with people like The Void or... Um, two-bit circus. I mean, there's VR parks in China and Japan. Yep. I really think that this is kind of going in the ways of what that you know the Dave and Buster on steroids, and that's something that Pure Imagination is doing. And I do think that that's where some of this technology is going to really help grow this type of area. And like you said, I think brands matter. So we're 
working with a lot of brands like 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 aliens and other ones that will you know star wars just launched their star wars experience over in orange county and apparently it's the real deal it's like you you feel like you're literally part of the the rebel alliance it's it's supposed to be amazing that's really cool yeah like no i i 100 agree like a few years ago you know we got the development oculus kit and like i remember trying it and like just walking around one of their demo like towns, I was like, I got like the motion sickness, right? And I kind of thought, right. And, and I know they were working on it, and it was pre-release. And I'm not really trying to like bash them, but I was kind of like, they need to fix this. And like, yeah, it's okay, but like, I don't know. I, this will probably go the way of the 3D television. And to your point, yep. like a few minutes ago, like there's so much cool content where you can interact with stuff and. There sometimes when I, I don't know if you guys are doing it and tell me if you are or not, but like doing stuff with like smells and like a bunch of stuff as well. Like, so you very much feel like you're there and they've sorted out the like refresh rate or whatever it is. So you, for the 100%. most part, like they don't get sick. You don't get that motion sickness anymore. Right. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, we, we have one of the things that we, we did uh, for um, formula one racing you get in one of these cars, you feel the wind on your face. Like people that get out of this car have to sit for a bit because their knuckles are white. Like they literally felt like they just got off the, the racetrack. Like the, the small of their back is wet from sweat, from just sure. the adrenaline. And that to me is the experience. You know, our, our CEO, Josh Wexler, um, you know, he took it, he was in Japan for, for some meetings and he took some time off to just do one of the VR parks. And he said, you know, there's Mario Kart, amazing brands and great sure. experiences. Because, but some some of the most simplest experiences were like crazy. There's one called Walk the Plank. Okay. And you literally are on this maybe four inch, five inch plank. Okay. And you know you're you know you're not up in the air, but it, you see you put the goggle on, you're a hundred stories up. The plank is maybe three inches off three inches off the ground. So if you put your foot just on the out, you don't feel the ground, so you now feel like you're up in the air interesting you feel the wind and your goal is to walk the plank at the end to rescue a kitten okay and you hear the the ambience of the sounds the winds he said because i my legs were actually shaking because my brain just wouldn't rationalize that it re- i really wasn't up there interesting and those are those moments where you can do these things so you know i, I know that um i think some of the did the movie walk the line it was that same type of thing where you're on a tightrope you, you knew you're not up in the air. I, I did this experience where, again, I was up in the air on a building and firing, you know, I had like these like kind of an Iron Man blasters. And at the very end, after you finish your mission, a ship comes to get you. And you, it's a transport ship. And you actually just had to jump two feet from the building onto the transport ship. And I remember going, oh, my God, I got to jump. And I'm looking down. I'm like 100 stories up. <laughs> and I, I, I did the jump. When I took the stuff off, they go, you realize that only 20% of the people who are willing to make that jump and the 80% say, I don't, I'm okay. Interesting. <laughs> it's, and, you know, in our, in our aliens experience, I, I walked a lot of people through it. And the elevator scene, which is where one of the aliens shows up, and I won't take it away from people sure. that want to go. Like, I had some people just scream and take the mask off and go, I'm done. I get it. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's those moments that you can... You know, uh, a friend of mine used to talk about GoPro and said that, you know, they used GoPro to say that it was an experience transfer. And I think that that's where 
location-based VR can transfer you through an experience that you could not get elsewhere. Sure. That's what makes that thing so compelling because it's still entertainment and there's still storytelling to it. And that, that's what makes that to me, as long as you make it a compelling experience, that's why that will continue to succeed. No, I, I, yeah, I, I 100% agree, man. It, it's, it's actually really interesting. And, and I think we're kind of at the beginning of it, right? Like it's only going to get better and it's really good now. Exactly. And now when you take the cumbersome goggles, like, you know, I'm not trying to toot our own horn, but, you know, one, one of the things that we, we do is everything's wireless. We don't have okay. any backpacks. You're not tethered. It's, it's, you're completely free. And that's made a lot of difference for people because sure. there's a, when you have the backpack on, you kind of you're still in the back of your mind, you know that you're part of this VR. So when you, when you have less on you, it becomes a little bit more realistic. So imagine when those goggles become less cumbersome and, and that it becomes it's it's actually you know fingers crossed you almost realize like it's like the star trek holodeck where eventually will you even need goggles so yeah it's just interesting time to see where that could potentially all go but um that's far in the future so you got to realize what we have now and you know it, it goes back to like something you said earlier about just the fact that through technology and even alternative distribution i mean we talk about you know some of these mergers and acquisitions that are happening. Like, what does that do for storytellers? Like, I was on a panel once where we were talking to, uh, you and I talked about this in uh, a previous meeting where somebody was like talking about, you know, content is king, content yeah. is king. And I remember saying, yeah, you know what? I agree with that, but don't forget about the queen. And the queen is distribution. Sure. And, and don't forget about if you have a king and a queen, that means you have a kingdom and, and the subjects are your audience. But those three things that no matter what it is, whether it's, AR, VR, a TV show, a movie, you got to make sure that the content that you're creating, you need to know where it's going to be distributed or shown and who that audience is. So you're creating a VR experience. You got to know who you're doing it for and where that's going to live. So if it's location-based, is it the right place where you're putting it? You know, some of the people that are building, you know, VR for the home, just remember, you got to think about, well, what's that experience going to be like by yourself? You know, what we're doing is kind of multiplayer. So sure. people that are playing the aliens game, you can go in with, you and I could go in together and, and help each other as we're shooting up the aliens or trying to survive. It, it's that type of experiential type thing that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point. As, as much as I'm sure a lot of people would love maybe a dedicated VR or gaming space or, or, or whatever, for some people, that's just not realistic, right? And But when you're creating that content you need to think about how much room does this really take up in somebody's house, right? Where if you're building these things at out in, out in the public that people can go to, then you have a lot more freedom to do probably a lot cooler stuff, at least at this point. Exactly, exactly right. And, you know, some of the things that we're experimenting with is as we build these experiences and if we're going to have a location to do those, um, the sets that you build, can we then manipulate them so that maybe you're going through the aliens experience and then if you're going to do something else a quick move of the set and this this and that can turn it into another experience so they become sure. multi-usable sets for different experiences depending on how you're going about it because that's really what it comes down to is the, you know also being cost efficient like how much does this cost to produce so what does that price point so that someone that's coming in and experiencing it are you making it worse you know if it's whether it's I think Star Wars is twenty five or thirty dollars. Might be less or more. Sure. What's the value top on that on that fee? Did you, did you give them an experience that was so cool 
that they might be willing to put another 20 or 25 down to do that. Sure. And I think that that's what we saw in Japan is that they have like the different experiences and they, they come into three levels. Like, let's just call it, I think they're using colors, but yellow, blue, red, Okay. where the red is like, you know, a $50 experience and the yellow is maybe a $20 experience. So, you know, you got to make the experience worth the dollar. So the $50 experience might be, you know, 10 to 15 minutes on Mario Kart and you're really experiencing something incredibly compelling. And the smaller one might be just walk the plank because it's simplistic, but it's sure. still a cool experience. Interesting. But, yeah. That's going to be something to experiment. Yeah, no, that that's actually really interesting. But I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on kind of like augmented reality because I know like Apple demoed it not that long ago. And um, I have a Pixel phone, so I've been playing with Google's kind of AR stickers. And I get that's like very, very early on. I haven't actually played with any of the headsets that do kind of AR yet. Um, but have you and are you guys doing some stuff in the AR space? We're starting to experiment with it, absolutely, because that is one of the things that we know those those two working together are going to be the, the big things. And, and that's what we talked about eventually, you know, when we won't need those goggles. And even like, you know, when you think about when like Google did Google Glass yeah. and Snapchat and all these types of things, and when you start to realize with AR, you could be looking at things that not only are, you know, entertainment based, but also functional about, you know, walking through and getting to do face recognition and, and, and types of things that are going to be very, you know, sci-fi driven in the ways of what we, we see in movies, mm-hmm. um, even from through advertising. And, and if it gets to know you, if you have AR, just the fact that I was walking through the conference at CES and my phone was literally be given, I was getting messaging by walking by a booth. Instead of a person telling me to stop, like I was getting messages on my phone. No, just... I was in that and then you take AR and put that on top of it. It, it could really change a, a, a lot. So I think AR, especially, I mean, I don't know if you've been following what, you know, Magic Leap is doing, but I, I really do believe that um, AR is truly, again, that, that, that low-hanging fruit. So we're looking at it from an entertainment perspective. I okay. still think after watching you know, the early days of, you know, Pokemon Go, yeah. just the fact that, you know, treasure hunts, scavenger hunts, and interactivity with things that are going on. It's educational and museums. I, I think that it's just, an amazing technology and we just have to figure out how you can monetize that through these types of things. I had one guy had an idea that was pitched to me that I, I'm under an NDA on it, but just the way uh, utilizing billboards in AR, I, I was just like, the pitch was so compelling, but to monetize it, you'd have to probably get advertisers on board. And that's going to be another thing that we have to think about is, you know, the, the economics and, and the return on investments on these things. Like we know VR location-based stuff, you know, you can charge for it. Sure. You know, AR, you got to start figuring out like, you know, Pokemon Go was a no brainer because you could start to, there's in-app purchases and stuff like that. But when you build out these big things, it's going to be really, um, someone's going to come up with something that's going to make it become that no brainer. And then it's going to really open up the gamut even more so. But I do think that AR is, really one of those things that's literally right in front of us everybody instead of everybody having a, a, a vr headset everybody has a smartphone yeah and everybody has the capability of doing ar so you can really um appeal to the masses and i think that that's a, a big responsibility to create something that's so compelling that's good for the industry no that's that's actually really interesting and and i kind of want your 
kind of thoughts and opinions, and I, I think I know where you're going to go with this, but like you guys did some stuff for Plants vs. Zombies and um, Angry Birds, and I think what I'm tr the point I'm trying to get across is like both of those concepts, and I don't even mean it mean because I think what they did was actually brilliant, but like how the like the game mechanics and, and whatnot like put that all aside but like the the pro or the concept between both of those games when they first launched a long time ago similar to your point with um that that google experience all oh, the name escapes me what, what was that thing we were talking about a little while ago oh um ingress yeah ingress, ingress. yeah like basically like, and it's the same with kind of like Plants vs. Zombies and Angry Birds. Like, the original versions of this stuff were kind of like nerdy versions of it. And I love those versions. But, like, somebody was smart enough to say, like, let's put cute little characters and make a really cool, compelling kind of, you know, graphics and content and release these. And they were, like, insanely successful things, right? And they've grown into these kind of massive companies just around kind of releasing they didn't come up with these brand new concepts and i don't think there's anything wrong with that like a lot of successful companies no. haven't done that but like so I, I think the point i'm trying to get across is like there's a lot of stuff that's been done that if you just kind of put more of like a common angle around it almost like what pokemon go did to ingress you know, you can make a lot of money and, and appeal to the masses, where I think a lot of people don't think like that sometimes. Is that fair to say? Well, it's funny. It, it's really funny you say that, because, like, again, because um, I think what you're talking about with Angry Birds was the original game that yeah, for the that iPad, people were saying, crushing yeah. crush, crush the castle, right? Yeah, crush yeah, the yeah, castle. exactly, yeah. And that was really, I mean, and Angry Birds, they said that's, and, and the, I'm going to bring up Angry Birds because, again, we didn't launch the game, but we did a uh, an attraction that Rovio hired us for a theme park. Yeah. And with, with Angry Birds, um, I was literally working at the hop. So I mentioned that the, the Hasbro Discovery Network. Yeah. And Angry Birds had just come out. I knew the game Crush the Castle. but I And I started playing the game because I like Crush the Castle. I'm like, sure. wow, talk about taking an engine like you just said. But now what they did was they created a story yeah. around it yeah and i liked the story so much so that i contacted rovio and said hey we should do an animated series based on this whole thing interesting is there any interest and they were like eh, maybe like enough for me to then go to our ceo and i do the pitch i said here's an idea i said we should do angry birds the animated series it's okay. based on a really what it's going to be a really popular uh, app and she looked at me and said why are the birds so angry? I kind of like, oh, sarcastic. I go, well, and I go, okay, fair enough. I go, let me give you the pitch. The idea is that, you know, there's these birds, okay? And there's these pigs of the kingdom that are keep stealing the birds' eggs. But the birds are kind of like the X-Men of birds. They each have their own individual powers, but when they work together, they destroy the pigs and get the eggs back, and it just keeps coming back. It's like Tom, and, Tom versus Jerry. It's like Spy versus Spy, the sure. Hatfield McCoys. And she looked at me and said, John, you are such a geek. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I might be a geek, but you pay me money to be that geek. So yeah. you really should think about it. So they passed. And a couple of years later, when whatever the valuation of Rovio was that day, she walked in my office and said, so what else you got? I'm like, well, <laughs> it doesn't happen every day. But you got to be ready for when those things trend. So, you know, again, Angry Birds did amazingly well. Plants versus Zombies. But like again, the schematics has always been there. Yeah. But when you add 
characters, brands, and stories, that's what the big difference is. And I, and I think that that's really what you've got to be smart about as you look into entertainment. Like even what I'm looking now, as far as original content for whether it's television, film, or digital, it's still important to look at, you know, original IP can be amazing, but you really don't sometimes get the opportunity to do the original stuff until you really have had a track record or people that can trust you. Sure. Like, it's like, you know, sometimes you're better off saying, like, let's go get the rights to this brand and bring life to it and, and then show what you got. You know, I always like to tell the story about, you know, Judd Apatow. You know, Judd Apatow did Freaks and Geeks, and he had a pile of scripts that he couldn't sell. But then all of a sudden, 40-Year-Old Virgin came out with Steve Carell, which was a huge hit. Sure. And then after that, you saw a movie come out from Judd Apatow, like, every three months. But it was all the script that he'd already written. Because now they were giving him the attention sure. and he was able to get all the original IP out. Yeah, that's so interesting. I just look at that from that perspective saying, you know, looking for original content is great. Something that you've never seen before, but it also don't, you know, I always like to be aware of like, well, what brands are out there that haven't been exploited in other mediums that could still be a fantastic story that hasn't been told yet in the, on this canvas. Sure. And you guys have done a, a lot of really cool stuff for a lot of big brands that I, I think pretty much everybody's heard of, you know, like the Lego movie, The Simpsons, uh, you know, uh, I, well, the Justice League. I, I didn't see that the other day when I was looking. So you guys have been doing some really cool stuff, right? With Plant vs. Zombies. and uh, you know. Yeah, the, the Justice League. We launched the Justice League ride. We did all the media for that. It's uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain over the summer. Sure. Um, one of my favorite things that we, that, that I, again, this is prior to me joining but um i love the story there um i don't know if you remember the cars 3 yeah. trailer yeah yeah, yeah. it was a really dark trailer it was like you know it shows a racetrack it shows the crash you see you know lightning mcqueen parts all over the track and it says life would never be the same and you're like oh my god did lightning mcqueen die and it's like <laughs> really dark and i don't think it was very well received so we ended up being able to work with um with DreamWorks on, on redoing the trailer. And we, we gave a few scenarios and one of them was, why don't we do the trailer exactly frame by frame the way you did it, but we'll do it with Legos. Very cool. And so it was Lightning McQueen. You tell the same trailer. And in the end, it shows Lightning McQueen hanging behind a green screen saying, all right, cut, let's break for lunch. And he goes, Hey, a little help. Someone let me down. <laughs> and that appeared in the theater. So sure. those types of things that, it was a story retold, even though through a, through a movie trailer. So it's, it's a lot of fun stuff that we get to do. It's um, never boring. No, that that's great, man. And and sadly, we're, we're coming to the very end of the show. But I really want to talk about kind of your involvement with the Media Excellence Awards. So how did you kind of get involved and, and why do you think it's important? So I was invited. This is back to uh, the hub days. Um, I was meeting with somebody and they were... Um, they were looking for a couple of presenters, um, for, well, several presenters for the Media Excellence Awards. And someone said, hey, would you like to present an award? And I said, sure, why not? And I came to the show. I'd never met Sarah Miller before, who's the founder and CEO. Right. And um, I, I presented, I watched the show, and it was amazing. It was very compelling. There's a lot of amazing people there. But I think I said to Sarah, I thought the show went a little long. I said, Let's, we, should, we should get together and talk. And when we got together, I said, you know, you seem like you put so much work into this. How do you get it all done with one person? She's like, well, it's what I do. I said, you know, you should, you should have a board, that, that, that how, an advisory board. You know, people can help you. You should, she's like, you want to be on it? I said, 
uh, okay. The next <laughs> thing is she put together this amazing team that I, we've all gotten to know each other. And she, she literally got us all motivated to be part of it. And, you know, what I, I like about it, and, and Sarah's never, she's like the pit bull of this industry. She just goes for it and doesn't, never stops and keeps it relevant because, you know, mobile has evolved. It's sure. all from what she's told me. It stems from what she used to do called Mobile Mondays. It was yeah. just a get together and people would talk. And then she said, you know what? There's a lot of compelling content out there. We should showcase it and let people see it. And then one of our recent um, board meetings, we were, we were talking and, you know, said, it's not all about mobile anymore because you could argue that everything's mobile. Yeah. It's really about media. It, it's, it's, there's so much content that uses, whether it's an iPad or a phone or a computer or whatever, you could argue that everything's now mobile. It's just another platform. And we should really focus on, on media because it opens up the gamut. And that's what happened. And I think that what's amazing about it is it does showcase people that are being incredibly innovative and out there trying to change things. It's just about everything you and I have talked about, whether it's, you know, v- VR is part of it this year. In fact, one of our anchor sponsors is uh, Star VR. And, yeah. you know, you wouldn't think that that was even like on the, on the horizon three or four years ago. Sure. We wouldn't even thought about that. So the fact that, you know, technology and media continues to evolve as has this, this, this award show, I, I think it's pretty amazing. And here we are at the 10th anniversary. So, you know, kudos to Sarah Miller for keeping it alive and never giving up on it. And I think that, you know, again, our, our team, I think you've talked to John Ruby and yeah. there's Daniel Tibbetts. And yeah. Scott Holmes and yeah. the whole gang. Yeah, and I had Brooks you know, on from Star VR or Sundry Studios. Yeah. Yeah, Brooks is one of my, you know, he's uh, someone that he's one of the guys I worked with at uh, at Lucasfilm. Oh, very cool. So uh, I I helped convince him to get out to uh, to LA. So really one of the good guys too. So yeah, I, I think that that's where um, it's going to continue to grow. And um, looking forward to the, the to the show. I'll be uh, presenting. I, I, once again <laughs> <laughs> well well john that's that's great but let's close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and uh pure imagination studios sure i'm i'm on twitter at uh, jpr333 i need to tweet more but i've been so insanely busy over the last six months so i'm going to get more into that sure um you can uh check us out our, our website's uh uh pi studios.com yeah. so you can see some of the work we've done and we'll continue to be building out that brand and um that that should do it i'm looking forward to uh meeting you or eventually face to face and you should come over for uh, the, the vr experience for aliens uh be, for those that can't come to the studio we'll be launching that over in orange county um across from disneyland probably in uh early mid mid February. Oh, very cool. Yeah. No, that's great, man. And yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting meeting you on uh January eighteenth at the Media Awards. And uh if people want more information about that, they can go to mediaxawards.com. But again, John, thanks again for taking the time out of your, your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and meeting you in person and have a good rest of your day. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. This was uh, a lot of fun. All right. Thanks man. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. Also check us out on Facebook at Building the Future Show and follow us on Twitter at Building Show. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com. 
and keep building the future.